Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Murphy's League. Today's episode is going to be the only episode of the week, so I'm going to be covering week 7, recapping some of the most important storylines coming out of last week, and then I'm also going to be previewing week 8. As always, there will be timestamps located down below. Just a quick overview of what I have planned for today's episode. First, we're going to start with talking about some of the games that happened in week 7. There was a lot of letdown in that week a lot of teams that weren't expected to lose a lot of underdogs pulling it off so we're going to cover all of that then we're going to talk about some young quarterback performances and what it means for their future just going to be covering three guys in there again timestamps located down below so if you want to skip to any of these segments feel free to do so then of course we're going to be doing my top 10 power rankings as we tend to then we're going to preview week eight just a few of the games there's not too many great games this weekend a lot of big spreads but still worth mentioning worth talking about Obviously, if you have any questions about fantasy football, start or sit advice, I'm not going to be covering it in this episode, so feel free to reach out to me, you know, via text, via direct message, at Murphy's League on Instagram, you know, however you want to get a hold of me, feel free to do so, if you got me on Snapchat, feel free to hit me up there, and then of course, always risky, but I'm going to be talking about some bets that I'll be placing, if you want to ride it out with me, feel free to do so, didn't do too well last week in full transparency, but I also didn't make a best bets segment last week, so... We're living, we're learning, we're going to get through it all. I hope you do enjoy this episode. Yeah, let's uh, let's get into it, guys. Not much else to cover. Hope you enjoy it, and let's do it. All right, so before I get into anything at all, obviously I mentioned the intro, I'm going to start with some disappointing teams from this weekend, but I just want to say this NFL season, just like every other NFL season, has been so much fun. It was so unpredictable. This weekend was no exception to that at all. There was a ton of unpredictability about it. Just to sum things up really quickly of some of the things that surprised me most from this weekend, I think the most surprising thing had to be the Browns and the Colts score just as a whole. The fact that that game ended 39-38 with two backup quarterbacks playing and those defenses as well they've been playing all year long i thought that that was going to be an easy under missed that terribly i mentioned that i had a bad weekend betting that was one of the bets that i missed and not just missed like i whiffed i think i bought the over under like 40 points 41 points you know total ended up being 39 38 so <laughs> way over the count and then of course the Niners lost their second road game in a row going into Minnesota facing primetime Kirk Cousins Kirk looked great in that game but we'll get to that in a second the Bears put up 30 with a backup quarterback not just a backup quarterback an undrafted D2 backup quarterback shout out Tyson Badgett good for him Bajant Sorry, I'm still getting the pronunciation down. And then the Pats won. <laughs> Again, who would have thought Mac Jones played incredible in that game? And the Giants won with Tyrod Taylor. That's just a few... Um, of the crazy things that happened this weekend. The Broncos won again. That's another thing I definitely would not have seen coming. The Packers are kind of in a little bit of a downward spiral here. Um, either way, it's just a really, really fun, unpredictable weekend for the NFL. And let's get into some disappointing teams from this weekend. I think I have to start with the Lions just because maybe you could argue the Niners' loss was more disappointing. But in my opinion... I was talking about the Lions a ton going into this weekend. I totally thought that they were going to be able to pull out a win against Baltimore. I thought they were going to make a statement game for the rest of the NFL, putting the league on notice that they are true championship contenders. I talked about it a lot in my last episode that the Ravens are perennial 
playoff team. They always seem to be relevant. They're always really good. I mean, this year is no exception at all. Obviously, Lamar Jackson, former MVP, currently playing, in my opinion, at an MVP level. Um, his receivers are letting him down a little bit, so the stats don't fully back it up. But if you just watch the film and you know ball, you know Lamar Jackson is absolutely dealing right now. Their defense has been playing extremely well, very high up there in sacks. They're top five in sacks, uh, really, really good run defense. They're like second in rushing yards allowed. A lot of really good things going for them statistically. Good turnover margin as well. Um, but I just thought the Lions were going to be able to come in here again, make a statement. And in, in fact, it was the exact opposite. It was the Ravens that made a statement. It was the Ravens putting their foot down. I think they heard some of the buzz. Obviously, it wasn't just me saying that the Lions could go in and get it done and put the rest of the league on notice. The Ravens took that to heart and they're the ones putting the rest of the league on notice. 38 to 6. It was unreal. Those six points were at the very end of the game too. This was a total and utter domination and it wasn't even like it was one of those games where it got out of hand really quickly. It was just the Ravens playing sound defense, forcing punts by the Lions and them taking advantage of the opportunities and they were scoring by the bunches and you know creating chunk plays you saw zay flowers doing his thing uh lamar jackson extending plays when he needed to again played a fantastic game the stats don't lie um this was just a work of art by him 357 yards through the air no turnovers three touchdowns again just just all around complete w by the baltimore ravens really impressive with what they were able to do there their offensive line deserves a lot of credit because aiden hutchinson and some of those other guys have had Fantastic starts to this year, and they were basically a non-factor in this one. To be quite frank, and a little bit nitpicky here, I know I'm going to sound like a complaining, you know, I might sound like I'm complaining here, but I think it's worth mentioning the NFL needs to get more consistent with his holding calls because it felt like Aiden Hutchinson just watching the TV broadcast, and I did go back and watch a little bit of the film this game. Um, shout out JTL Sullivan of the quarterback school. He makes great film breakdown videos. If you haven't watched him yet and you're a football head, go watch him just because he'll make you not only just see the game in a whole different lens from the quarterback perspective, but just in general, you can learn a lot from watching his videos. My point is, Aiden Hutchinson was being held a lot in this game. There was, it wasn't just Hutchinson, but him in particular, it really felt like he was getting held a lot. And I know that holding calls can be a little tricky because you can almost argue there's holding on like every single play. All I'm asking for is more consistency. That's really all I'm going to say. Um, sorry if there was a little bit of cut out there. Um, but really, that's, that's all it's going to break down to. I just want to see more consistency because it did feel like they let go of a few holding calls in this one. Obviously, I don't think it would have made the difference in this game um, because it was just, just, again, look at the scoreboard, look at the stat sheets. The Ravens utterly dominated. But something to be a little nitpicky, they do need to work on that. Either way, again, their offensive line deserves a lot of credit. 147 rushing yards on the ground as well against a very good run defense, at least statistically. You can argue that the Lions' run defense is a little bit overinflated just because of game script they've been ahead in a lot of their games so they're not exactly facing the run a whole lot but 147 rushing yards against not a single sack again got to give them a lot of credit and again if you just look at the stats it really does tell the story the baltimore ravens 503 total yards uh 9.1 yards per play in comparison the lions only had 337 total yards in 4.7 yards per play so again nearly double the amount of yards per play in the Baltimore Ravens favor only two punts all game which came much later in the game and then the Detroit Lions had four punts five sacks allowed so again 
<clears throat> really impressive stuff by the Baltimore Ravens. Not a great third down efficiency, but they didn't really need to because they didn't find themselves in those scenarios a whole lot. Four for eight, which is still solid, 50%. Not bad at all. The, the Lions, five for 16, couldn't capitalize on some of those opportunities. And again, the game kind of just got out of hand. But that's not a discredit to the, the Lions or a discredit to the Ravens. Rather, it's just more so the Ravens did what they had to, again, made a statement in this one, and they deserve a whole lot of credit. Now, let's move on to the next really disappointing game um, from, you know, if you're a fan point of view from this team, it was extremely disappointing. And just as a whole, I don't think a whole lot of people saw this one coming. The San Francisco 49ers went in to Minnesota in primetime. Minnesota missing their best player, not only their best player, but one of the best players in the entirety of the NFL. I'm going to pause this really quick because I can tell it's going to get loud just for one second. Sorry about that. A little bust outside my window. Hopefully you guys don't hear that anymore. Anyways, point is, Minnesota missing their best player, one of the best players in the entirety of the league. I don't think anyone, I mean, there was definitely someone out there, but I don't think a whole lot of people expected San Francisco to lose in this one, especially, you know, coming off of another road loss in Cleveland. I think a lot of people were just expecting them to bounce back, get themselves right. Um, and that was not the case at all. You know, now the Niners are coming off back-to-back -back tough road losses. Uh, felt like the Browns one could have been written off a little bit just because, you know, that was a bad weather game and the Browns defense have been playing very, very well um, up to that point. Obviously, they let the Colts score 38 points on them, but Browns defense statistically one of the best in the entirety of the NFL. You know, bad weather, Brock Purdy's first game without Debo Samuel. Um, there were some injuries. They got a little beat up in that game. Christian McCaffrey, you know, suffering that oblique injury. So it felt like you could kind of write that one off. But that doesn't feel like the case uh, here against Minnesota. Minnesota really did play very, very well in this one. And I don't think anyone expected the Niners, you know, to go into San Francisco, or sorry, to go into Minnesota against primetime Kirk Cousins and take an L. And that's exactly what happened. And yes, the Niners could have done some things better. They didn't play their best game. And there was definitely some plays that they left out there. But the Vikings, they made a statement in this one. And you got to give them a ton of credit, especially defensively. I want to give a lot of credit to their defensive coordinator, Brian Flores. Um, obviously, he's been a name that has been circulated around a lot in the NFL, but kind of feels like his name has been out of rotation ever since he ended up in Minnesota. I want to give him his flowers where they are due because not only did he call a great game defensively, but he's putting key players in positions to succeed, sort of like Ivan Pace. I mean, I haven't talked about him nearly enough on this podcast, mostly because the Minnesota Vikings have not been all that good, so there's not much to talk about, but... Ivan Pace, undrafted rookie out of Cincinnati, undersized linebacker that just flies around and really sticks out when he's kept clean and against the run and as a blitzer. He's been pretty much playing that exact same role since he's joined the NFL and joined the Minnesota Vikings, and he's been fantastic at it. Twitched up athlete, obviously undersized, but makes up for it with just pure motor a really really fun guy to watch at cincinnati and i want to you know give him a shout out because he's been playing great since he's gone there brian flores knowing exactly how to use him and then of course you got to talk about cam bynum two really clutch picks late in this game when it looked like the san francisco 49ers were rallying and coming back in this one um you know he was really the closer the finisher brock purdy you know not being the smartest with the ball 
honestly he's had like two of his worst games in his career the past two weeks because up to this point he's been playing pretty much flawlessly and just distributing the ball very well that wasn't really the case in this one and again it's not entirely his fault the minnesota vikings defense deserves a lot of credit brian flores deserves a lot of credit but I don't want to discount this Vikings offense as well. I mean, without Justin Jefferson to play against a defense of this caliber and play as mistake-free and clean as they did, super, super impressive stuff. Zero sacks against, which is just mind-boggling to think who they were going against. Obviously, Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, some of those other guys, are rotational pieces along the defensive line. It's a really, really deep defensive line. One of the deepest, if not the deepest, in the NFL. To not allow a single sack, really, really impressive stuff there. Gotta give credit to Kirk Cousins as well, because he's, you know, obviously it's coaching as well, and they're helping each other out with these pass protection plans, but Kirk Cousins, you know, I've said it here on this channel a million times, dude has balls. Dude has such a good ability to stay in the pocket when he knows he's going to take a hit he just sticks it in there and doesn't take no as an answer manages to get the ball off a lot and again no fumbles no sacks that there was an int early in this game but really that wasn't too much on kirk cousins you could argue he forced the ball a little bit but it was honestly just tredavious ward just ripping it away from jordan addison but then jordan addison got his lick back Got a 60-yard touchdown on third and six on absolute cover zero. Straight man-to-man, -man. Jordan Addison won the rep, took it to the house, and that was honestly the play of a game. It was such a tone setter, and obviously the Niners had other opportunities, and that was a little bit earlier in the game. I believe it was in the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken, but that was just a, such a critical moment. Gotta have it play, and not only did they convert, but it turned into a long touchdown, and Jordan Addison, I mean, man, he deserves a lot of credit in this one. Good for him. Two touchdowns, 60 more yards. He's off to an incredible start of his career. Good for him, man. And yeah, just the Minnesota Vikings as a whole deserve a lot of credit. Really, really big win for them in prime time. And I think if you're a Niners fan, I mean, you're not panicking. You're not in absolute panic mode. But you are thinking like, okay, what's going on here? Yes, Debo Samuel's been injured, but that's not really the best excuse. He's not, you know, the absolute identity of this offense. I just think you need to play cl more clean football, more balanced football. Um, I still think it's very important. Me personally, I don't want Christian McCaffrey to get as many touches as he's been getting because, you know, you see things like this where even though he claims he was 100%, who knows if he actually was. Uh, there was a forced fumble against him in this one, which... You know, there's, sometimes you just got to give defensive players credit where credit's due. You can't really help those kinds of things. Harrison Smith made a great play on the ball. That just happened to be the case. But the point that I'm trying to make about Christian McCaffrey is he is such a glue guy in this offense. He, When everything else is struggling, you can always count on Christian to do his thing. Um, and I just don't know if giving him 20 touches a game is a good idea in the long term. You want him fresh by the playoffs. And that's when the games matter most that's when the reps matter most especially so i want to see more elijah mitchell i want to see more jordan mason and just limit mccaffrey a little bit not because you know the talent's not there obviously we know how incredible christian mccaffrey is but i just want to see him stay healthy and he's so important to this offense that's the last point i'll make about this game but let's move on to the buffalo bills the last disappointment of this weekend i did not see this coming at all honestly this is more surprising to me than the last two games Maybe not the Niners game, but still very, very surprising to me. And I think the most surprising part about it was how it ended. I thought the Patriots choked, and I was like, wow, they really got off to a 10-0 start. It looked like this was their game to have it, and it was such an impressive, you know, beginning of the game for Mac Jones. I'm, throughout the game, honestly, it was really impressive. But truthfully, 
and they went down 22 to 25 and there was a two minute drill I didn't know if Mac Jones was going to be able to get it done but he played just as he did throughout the rest of the day really really in rhythm smart decisions it looked like him and um Bill O'Brien were absolutely on the same page in terms of play calling and ball distribution and Mac Jones just honestly played the best game of the season so far and the stats back it up 25 for 30 272 yards two touchdowns and then of course that two minute drill was the most important part of the entire game it really was a clinic out there it looked like they were just running a walkthrough in practice great play calling great execution Mike Gesicki walked it off on national tight ends day good for him I will say the tone was pretty much set immediately um, with Jabril Peppers picking off Josh Allen on his first throw of the game. But from the Bills perspective, you just can't have this anymore. This happens far too often where their offense will disappear for halves at a time. We've seen it against Jacksonville. We've seen it against the Jets. And we've also seen it in years past. This is a continuous trend where Josh Allen just will either start slow, doesn't turn it on. And then when he does turn it on, it's too little too late. And I think as a Bills fan, it is seriously concerning because there's two Stephon Diggs reliant. Josh Allen, he just, his highs are so high, but his lows are so low. And it really was ugly for him in the first half of this game. Again, Patriots defense deserves some credit. You know, it can go both ways a little bit, but this is a trend we've seen. <laughs> not just this season but in years past and it's the reason why i almost never trust the bills to get it done in the playoffs because josh allen and those guys just aren't very disciplined they tend to disappear for quarters sometimes halves at a time and this was a game that i 100 percent expected the bills to go into the to gillette stadium and get it done with the patriots reeling patriots totally on their heels looking like their season was falling apart quite quickly here Instead, it was the exact opposite. Patriots and Mac Jones make an absolute statement. Good for them. Now, let's switch it to a really quick segment about some young quarterbacks. By the way, I didn't say anything earlier, but sorry if I sound a little stuffed up. I am. <laughs> I'm just having like really weird allergies today. But let's get into a really quick segment. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. Let's talk about three young quarterbacks that maybe they're not in the hot seat necessarily but we just the verdict isn't really quite out on them yet they're you know playing for an opportunity to be a starter long term going forward so let's start with jordan love who seemingly honestly seems like he's getting worse and worse as the season goes on i mean he made this broncos defense look really good in the first half he just completely disappeared um before the adjustments made at halftime they got absolutely nothing going in this one and then even when they did bring you know bring it back a little bit in the second half he made a critical mistake that cost them the comeback it was a love interception at the end of the game matt lafleur came forward after the game and says he regrets the play call and he takes you know blame for that turnover at the end of the game um but honestly i just think that's good coaching i just think that's matt lafleur sticking his neck out for his young quarterback you know he doesn't want his young quarterback losing his confidence especially with how the past few weeks have gone seemingly again getting worse and worse as the season goes on i really just think he's trying to instill confidence and yes you can argue like don't try and get all 20 yards in one chunk on that third and 20 where the int did happen um you can argue that you should draw up something because it's four down territory anyways but at the end of the day, it's it's up to Jordan Love to be communicative there and say that that's not the case. Again, I really just think this is good coaching by Matt LaFleur, instilling confidence in his young quarterback. And it's going to be really inter interesting to see how Jordan Love plays going forward because 
it looked like seriously like against my bears it looked like he was the guy and it looked like we were watching it all over again and i was like oh here we go again the pa- the packers have back to back to back franchise quarterbacks bears can't have any nice things but as the weeks have gone on especially you know performances like that raiders game performances like this last week against the broncos the verdict is kind of still up there, up in the air. Is Jordan Love going to be the guy? Is he, you know, can he make the right decisions with the ball? Because I think that's really his biggest weakness right now, where he's just not seeing the field well enough and not making the right decisions. So I'm not I'm not saying I'm bailing on him as a franchise quarterback because we've seen the tools. We've seen some absolutely unreal arm angles and some unreal throws by him. Um, he's got all that. It's just... Does he have it between the ears? Is he going to be, you know, smart enough with the football? Is he going to be on the same page with Matt LaFleur? Because, again, beginning of the year, it really looked like that was the case. Even that Saints game where he didn't, he kind of disappeared for a half, kind of similar to this game. In the second half, he turned it on, brought it back, and rallied those guys, made some really good throws, and ended up getting the W there at home. So, again, I'm not giving up on him. I'm not saying this. he's one thing or another i'm not saying he is a franchise guy i'm not saying he's not a franchise guy i'm just saying it's definitely worth monitoring and this performance has kind of been indicative on his his entire career there's been flashes there's been flashes of brilliance um but there's also just been moments where he's completely vacant and completely disappears and the time is kind of ticking for him because they need to choose if they want to pick up his fifth year option they need to choose if they want to extend him and right now just given how fucking crazy the quarterback markets are i don't know how inclined you would be to pay a guy like this and of course there's other factors that are without his that are outside his control like how young this team is because frankly not only is his team super young but his receivers and his weapons on the perimeter are super young so there's some inexperience issues there as well but either way decisions have to be made for the green bay packers and with each you know week passing that decision is going to be getting easier and easier to make for the Green Bay Packers, depending on you know where Jordan Love's trajectory ends up going. Up next, let's get to Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter, I mean, fuck, man. He has not looked very good, just straight up not looked very good, and I don't think there's too many excuses for him, unlike Jordan Love, where Jordan Love, you know, a lot of his receivers are young, and there's some... I mean, now I think about it, it's, it's kind of a similar situation, but the, the difference is with me and Desmond Ritter is that I just, I love some of these Falcons weapons on this roster. I hate how underutilized B. John Robinson is, but that's a whole different topic for a whole different day. Uh, Desmond Ritter is just, he makes very costly mistakes at very, very bad times during the game. It was at full display um, against the Buccaneers this weekend. He had three red zone turnovers. It didn't end up mattering because, or three red zone fumbles. I I can't remember off the top of my head if they all turned into turnovers, but either way, he gets bailed out by his defense a lot. This Falcons defense is playing really, really well. Uh, they're a really, really underrated unit as a whole. David Onyemata, Jesse Bates leading the way there. Those dudes deserve a lot of credit because they are playing legitimately at an all-pro level right now. Uh, I know a lot of the different guys get a lot of attention on this defense, like an AJ Terrell and like a Grady Jarrett, which they deserve it. I mean, they've had past year's success, but this year, right now, the Atlanta Falcons... Their best defensive players, in my opinion, are David Onyemata and Jesse Bates. I don't think that's too arguable if you turn on the film, but I'm here to hear the I'm here to hear the arguments. <laughs> that was kind of a weird, weird little way to put that. But either way, Desmond Ritter, that's really the focus on this segment right now. He is just 
not executing, not playing at a high enough level, making way too many mistakes with the football. And it's turnovers and fumbles and interceptions. I guess turnover fumbles and interceptions are a form of turnover. It's stuff like that that really does cost you your job. And I can't imagine that his leash is very long because they don't have too much invested in him anyways. He's a third-round pick. It's not like there's heavy compensation for him at all. And it'd be pretty damn easy for them to move off of him. Um, I would not be surprised at all if there is a new quarterback in Atlanta by this time next year, you know, by the beginning of next year. Even if, you know, at the end of this year, they see what they have in a backup, whoever it may be over there. I would not be surprised at all because Desmond Ritter, frankly, he does have some ability, you know, in the run game. I like him as an athlete, but as a passer, he is just not getting it done right now. And I don't think that that's that hot of a take. I mean, if you just look at the PFF rankings or any metric, basically, he's not doing well at all. Let's talk about Kenny Pickett really quickly, though, because this dude is mad confusing it's really strange and i can't quite figure this guy out because for the first three quarters of the game this guy is just like the cardiac king first three quarters of the game he almost always looks below average um he has some moments of good placement on the ball and some moments of good decision making but overall he really does seem like a one read quarterback that doesn't see the field too well and just seems like he still is playing at like you know a very inexperienced level which is fine he's a second year guy you know it takes time to adjust but then the fourth quarter comes around and something just clicks with this kid he is so clutch it's i don't i shouldn't call him a kid because that's kind of disrespectful but i can't quite figure it out it's really fun to watch it's really stressful to watch if you're a steelers fan out there but just as an objective fan kenny pickett fourth quarter pickett there's something real there. I, I can't quite figure it out what it is and why he doesn't have that ability to turn it on in the first three quarters, but fourth quarter Pickett is absolutely a thing. He always seems to make clutch plays when it matters most. Um, obviously, his weapons there are very, very good. I'm not going to take that you know, away, and I'm not going to say like he does it entirely by himself because Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, uh, obviously Muth has been out for a couple games now, but even Darnell Washington, very capable backup. If you guys know me through the draft process, you know how much I loved Darnell Washington. Um, so again, the verdict is absolutely still out. The biggest question is, can he just play more consistently and can he play in the first three quarters like he does in the fourth because he's very clutch, which is a very, very good attribute to have. You want to have that cool, calm collectedness as a quarterback, but you also want consistency. And right now you're getting both extremes. You're getting cool, calm, and collected. And he looks really, really good under the like the brightest lights and the most pressure, but you're also getting wildly inconsistent, inconsistent performances from him. So that's going to do it for my young quarterback segment. Let me know if you guys did enjoy this. If you don't want to hear storylines like this, yeah, just let me know. But with all that being said, let's get into my power rankings. All right, you know how it goes, top 10 power rankings. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I'm not going to get too into stats and all the details and the thick of it. I'm more just going to go off feel and just opinion because these are totally subjective. Power rankings are always subjective. And frankly, they don't matter too much. They're just more of a fun exercise to, to gauge where teams are. And frankly, I think the top two teams are pretty far above everyone else right now. You could put that third team into the category as well, but I think it's a pretty clear gap. Let's get into number 10 though. And again, I'm staying true and I think they're going to get a win this weekend. Uh, I'm spoiling one of my best bets later. It's not even a best bet. It's more like a value bet, but Cincinnati at number 10 going, coming off a buy. 
you know, finally seeming more healthy even before that bye. Joe Burrow looked a lot more like himself against the Seahawks, against some of those other opponents they played before their bye week. Uh, The Cardinals, another one. Actually, it was just the Seahawks and the Cardinals where he really looked like himself. But again, that's a really big deal because Joe Burrow, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Obviously, Jamar Chase, that connection, absolutely special. Um, They finally got it going in the last two weeks before the bye. And now going into a bye, you would expect, you know, even more preparation going into this next week, even more preparation to get Joe healthy with that calf injury. I expect them to look much more like the Cincinnati Bengals that we're used to, and I expect them to really emerge as a contender in the AFC. Frankly, I think they're the biggest threat to the Chiefs um, in the long run. I know right now they're, they're not the be- the second best team in the AFC, but looking back on it on week 18 once we get there, I seriously think we're going to say, like, watch out for the Bengals. I think it's going to be one of those storylines again. Um and yeah, I'm just trusting everything about this team. Again, their personnel is very similar to when they did make their run. Jesse Bates, losing him, very big deal, don't get me wrong, but they're ready for that type of stuff. Um, they brought in a guy like DJ Turner, Turner, Turner at quarter, cornerback. They brought in Dax Hill the year before that who don't get me wrong he's not jesse bates but still they were ready for these kind of things and i think this defense is incredibly underrated as a whole and their offensive line was bringing it together in a lot more ways those past two weeks before their bye now they're facing a really big test in the san francisco front four but if joe burrow is going to be playing the way that he was playing the previous two weeks before their bye it's i don't want to say it's a non-factor because obviously you want to control the line of scrimmage but they're really just going to be playing playing quick game that's what the Bengals are best at that's when they're most dangerous and most successful it's underneath stuff joe burrow making the right decision getting the ball out of his hands quick and then from there you can run the ball a little bit and then from there that opens up everything else the defense has to stay honest play forward a little bit play around the ball and tackle that's when jamar chase can break a big one off not only can he get yards after the catch but he can take the top off of defense. He has that kind of juice and electric ability. So Cincinnati, number 10. Number 9, and again, I think when it's all said and done, this team is not going to be as good as Cincinnati, but right now, where we're ranking it and where we're looking at it, I mean, they're still a 5-win team. I still have to give them a 4-win team, excuse me. I still have to give them their credit, and they've had some seriously dominant performance this year, and they have a really, really good home field advantage. It's the Buffalo Bills. Again, they kind of go how Josh Allen goes because he is – a very very ridiculously high ceiling quarterback with a pretty low floor if i'm being honest i've talked about it a lot throughout this podcast um this team is far too reliant on him and so again they kind of just go how he does if he's having a really good game and playing you know josh allen mvp type level they can beat pretty much any team in the entirety of the nfl but he'll have performances like he had against the jets week one or even like the patriots this past game where it wasn't all that bad but there were some really really bad moments and some really bad decisions and just some hero ball where he's forcing things when he doesn't have to again defensively there's still a lot of things to like i think they need to improve their secondary and i'm not going to be surprised if they do end up trading for someone before the deadline to help out that secondary but their defensive line still really deep has a lot of good rotation along it and again we know how dynamic this team can be no surprise buffalo has to remain in the top 10 but they make it in at number nine number eight dallas um this is kind of a confusing team and sometimes i don't really know what to make of them i think the nfl is just really interesting because you know anyone could be anyone that's why we love it um they have a home game this weekend against the los angeles rams but again they're still a four-win team uh trayvon diggs being gone for the season 100 does hurt but they still have one of the best defensive players in all of football dak prescott again one of these guys that 
can play pretty low sometimes, pretty low floor down there. Not nearly as high of a ceiling as Josh Allen, but again, I don't think his floor is quite as low as that either. And this is still a really, really complete team. Just as a roster, they really don't have a whole lot of weaknesses. They can keep it competitive with basically anybody and a really, really good home field advantage there in Dallas again. Just looking at their depth chart, like where do they really struggle? There's not a whole lot of places. Maybe off-ball linebacker, but even then it's good. It's not great, but it's really good. Um, maybe not really good, but it's good. <laughs> and then you look at their secondary, even without Trayvon Diggs, Deron Bland coming in and taking that number two cornerback role. He's been playing really, really great. And then, of course, their defensive line, where it all starts. We know how good they are up front. Osa, Odigizua, fantastic guy out of UCLA. Demarcus Lawrence playing almost at peak Demarcus Lawrence level right now, if I'm being honest. And then, of course, come on, we know how good Micah Parsons is. No surprise here. One of the best receiving cores in the league. Tony Pollard, one of the most explosive backs in the league. Again, this isn't, this isn't a hot take. Dallas, number eight. Number seven, and I'm kind of surprised I had them this high, but in perspective, they kind of deserve it. They're, they win in a whole lot of different ways. Josh Allen, the pass rusher, is playing fantastic for him. He's been a very, very big part of their defense. I'm talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. They are clear-cut the best team in the AFC South. As of right now, they're sitting at 5-2, and two, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, they are 5-2. and two. A really good point differential there. They've won four in a row. So after starting the season 1-2, and two, they've really turned it on the past couple weeks. And... Again, big statement wins for them. That Saints game was maybe a little bit too close, but Trevor Lawrence coming off of an injury, you know, sticking to it, adjusting game plans where if it's not there on the first or second read, he was taking off running. And it's funny because you would think someone with a knee injury is not going to take off running like that to protect, protect themselves. It was almost the exact opposite. He was taking off like that to protect himself. It was, I think the commentators did a really, really good job pointing that out during the game. Um, but he was intentionally running when there was no options available instead of taking a sack and instead of possibly getting crushed back there in the pocket. And then he was taking care of himself. When there were defenders around him, he was sliding just in time. And again, Jacksonville is one of these teams that they can win in a whole lot of different ways. Travis Etienne is running the ball extremely well along the ground right now. I think Trevor Lawrence is still coming into his own. Calvin Ridley has been a little bit up and down in terms of production, but even when he has had his downs, they're still finding ways to win this football game. It's not like the Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs thing, where if Stephon Diggs is getting clamped up, Josh Allen's more than likely not having a good game. That's not the case here. Trevor Lawrence can still get it done with other guys. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones play their roles in there. Evan Ingram sprinkled in there a little bit. And of course, Travis Etienne can catch the ball out of the backfield as well. So my point is excuse me is this is a very versatile team that can do a lot of things maybe not extremely well but at least good they can do everything good and that is more than enough when you have good games and you can do things well you can get it done and you can win a lot of football games this way <coughs> excuse me i'm gonna pause this really quick i can feel like a good cough coming <sighs> allergies baby fuck all right, number six, I have the Detroit Lions. Uh, again, coming off a really embarrassing loss, and honestly, I wanted to drop them a little bit further. I was very tempted to put Jacksonville one spot ahead of them, but I just think that if they're playing on a neutral field, I'd probably still take the Lions right now, even though that's, that's tough to say. But before this Ravens game, <laughs> the Lions were competitive with everyone they played. They won a lot of really big games. Um, obviously starting week one, they set the tone immediately going into Kansas City and winning that game. A little bit of an asterisk next to it, but hey, it happens. There's not everyone 
has injuries. Everyone has different things going on where players are going to be out some days. So you can't really say that entirely. And again, before this weekend, the, the Lions really didn't look like they had many weaknesses on their roster. Maybe perimeter weapons, but Jared Goff was playing really, really well behind that stellar offensive line. And then Aiden Hutchinson leading the way on the other side of the ball. Their defensive line was getting home a lot, creating a lot of pressure. They were playing really, really well against the run again before this past weekend. But you can't you know, put all your eggs in one basket, you can't say like, oh, they got their ass whooped, so this is their identity, they're not a good team, they're still a good team, there's still a reason why they've won as many games as they have, they've won five games, um, and again, before this weekend, Jared Goff playing really well, uh, their secondary was playing a lot better than it had been last year, still not one of the better units in the league, but still, their pieces there were playing well, as far as, especially Cameron Sutton and Brian Branch, those dudes were doing their thing, and I just think there's a lot of different ways that this team can beat you. They can run the ball very effectively. They can get after the quarterback. Or, you know, they can throw it 50 times and be very effective that way. Amara St. Brown, one of the best wide receivers in the entirety of the NFL. And Amara is one of those guys that's just so quarterback friendly, knows how to sit in zones, knows his role very well. Very, very good slot receiver. And then beyond that, they don't have a ton of star power on the on the perimeter, but they just have complementary guys that play their roles where, you know, Amara is going to work underneath, get a lot of yak yards, uh, can also block decently well in the run game. I will mention that. But then they have guys like Khalif Raymond, like uh, Jamison Williams, who are those vertical stretching guys and everything in between. So they just have a lot of versatility on this roster for that. They're still number five. Number four whoop the or sorry no number six of the lions number five my bad miami dolphins at number five um i was really impressed with how well they kept up with the eagles this weekend and then of course it kind of fell apart at the, in the second half there but still I, I don't even know what else to say we know how good mike mcdaniel's scheme is we know how effective their rushing offense can be clearly they're not in the same caliber of my top two teams, and I think everyone knows by now who my top two teams are going to be. Hint, hint, they were in the fucking Super Bowl last year, and they probably will be again this year. Um, but either way, Miami, just we know what this team is. I really like how their defense has stepped up over the past couple weeks, and I still think they're getting better in that regard. I've spoken about that over the past few weeks. Once they get Jalen Ramsey back, that is going to be a huge addition to their defense. But really right now, their offense, or excuse me, their identity is their offense. It all goes through Tyreek Hill and Tua Tagovailoa to start. And then, of course, Mike McDaniels in that scheme opens up everything in the run game. Once Devon Achan gets back, that's going to be a huge addition to them because he was absolute dynamite. And again, I just think this team is still getting better. I still think they're going to be really competitive with practically any team in the NFL. And they were really competitive for three quarters against the Philadelphia Eagles. They deserve a whole lot of credit for that because the Eagles... I mean, the Eagles are really the cream of the crop. There's there's just no getting around it. Miami Dolphins at number five. At number four, Baltimore Ravens coming off an absolute ass whooping. Dropped off the, the Detroit Lions. Really, really good win for them. And I think they deserve the credit now. They really are looking like the second best team in the AFC. Maybe not once it's all said and done. Like I mentioned earlier, once we get to week 18, we'll see how I feel about that one. But right now, as it sits, they are the second best team in the AFC. I will say that with my chest. Lamar Jackson, again, I'm not going to get into too much detail about this because I was just spent a good while talking about them. Lamar Jackson playing an MVP level. We know how effectively they can run the ball. This uh, Todd Munkin offense, is that his name? Is that his first name? Did I just make that up? 
I think that's his first day of coming over from Georgia is finally starting to click. Not that it wasn't really clicking to start the year, but it just seems like it's firing on all cylinders now. We really saw that against the Lions. Um, and of course, this defense is fantastic. Top five in sacks, really, really good run defense as well. And a really underrated secondary, in my opinion, led by Kyle Hamilton and Marlon Humphrey, two of my favorite DBs in the entirety of the NFL. Baltimore Ravens, number four. Number three. And again, I'm going to spend less and less time on these because I just don't really know what else I have to argue with. Number three, yes, they, they're coming off two losses, but I still don't think we have to overreact too bad. We still know how talented this roster is. San Francisco 49ers. Um, Brock Purdy does need to play better. No surprise there. But, I mean, come on. The talent's still there. Still have former Defensive Player of the Year, Nick Bosa. Uh, haven't had too many injuries yet. Obviously, Debo a little bit beat up right now. But it's just a hairline fracture. Sounds like he's not going to miss too much time there. Christian McCaffrey, oblique injury. doesn't Again, doesn't sound too serious. He ended up playing through it. Sounds like he's going to be just fine. Um, I, I don't know what else I have to argue with you guys. I mean, come on. One of the best head coaches in the league. Brock Purdy was absolutely dealing before the past couple weeks. The uh, best weapons in the league, arguably. Uh, arguably the best defense in the league. So, again, what else do I have to say? Number two, Philadelphia Eagles, which leaves the Chiefs at number one. I'll just pair them together. Again, don't have much else to say, except one thing I will talk about really quickly with the Eagles. They did it again. They robbed the Tennessee Titans. Kevin Byard coming over in a trade. Didn't even have to give up that much for him at all. They gave up uh, Terrell Edmonds, their safety, and a fifth and a sixth-round pick, if I'm not mistaken. I... <laughs> What? Like, I, I cannot believe the Tennessee Titans took this bullshit again. I cannot believe they let the Philadelphia Eagles absolutely loot them again. It just makes no sense from their point of view why they do something like this. I get that they're trying to sell and they want to get draft capital because it doesn't feel like they're going to win this year. And I mentioned that in my last episode when I was talking about guys that could be traded at the deadline. I mentioned DeAndre Hopkins. I even mentioned Derrick Henry. But I said... The Tennessee Titans just don't seem like a team. They seem too stubborn. They seem like behind Mike Rabel. They feel like they can always win and always be competitive. So I really didn't think they were going to make a move like this, especially, you know, where they did it and what they got back for him. This is a former all-pro safety who is still fantastic. He's been a little bit quiet as of late because, frankly, mostly because the Tennessee Titans have just not been good and they haven't been getting a whole lot of attention from the media. He still absolutely has it. And again, with this talent around him now on the Eagles, he's just going to shine even brighter. It's a spot that they needed to address with CJ Gardner-Johnson going. They added some guys this past offseason. They weren't really getting it done. Kevin Byard, a former All-Pro player coming into the Philadelphia Eagles. I just, how can they keep getting away with this? Unreal. One of their only weaknesses in the entirety of their roster, and they addressed it with an all-pro caliber player. Goddamn. But at number one, I still got to give it to the Kansas City Chiefs. Their defense is quietly playing like one of the best in the entirety of the NFL right now. Uh, secondary has been showing out repeatedly. Um, and then, of course, Mahomes, Kelsey, Andy Reid. Just going to leave it at that all i have to say seen it a million times we're still seeing it until we stop seeing it i'm not going to discount them they're still the best team in the league and they should be and are the super bowl favorites right now so no surprise there but let's get into my week eight preview all right guys week eight not too many great matchups if i'm being completely honest but Oh, I'll, before I get into this, actually, I want to say two teams that just missed my top 10 for the power rankings, Seahawks, Browns, boom, just missed it, done. All right, week eight preview. Let's start with Bengals versus Niners. Uh, Niners looking to bounce back at home 
but somewhat breaking news here i'm recording this currently at 1 p.m on a thursday just saw a tweet not too long ago brock purdy is out more than likely he is in concussion protocol leaving sam darnold to start dude that's that that's an ouch that sucks that's a serious blow i still think sam darnold can get it done we've seen him get it done in spurts where watch this is what's gonna happen sam darnold's gonna come in play super well everyone's gonna be like oh my god is sam darnold the guy I like it just feels like it's one of those things because every single year there's always some narrative where Sam Darnold plays well for a very short stretch we start believing in him and then he completely lets us down again obviously once Brock Purdy is back off concussion protocol he will be the starter no surprise at all there but the Bengals looking like they were playing a lot better before their buy now obviously that buy should do nothing but help it should help joe burrow get more healthy in the calf it should help them game plan better for the san francisco 49ers in general it's tough that they have to go on the road and play in san francisco um never easy to play on the road nevertheless in levi stadium with a team that's looking to bounce back and make a statement after going on the road and losing both of their road games coming back home you know sleeping at their own places and now with that type of fire built up underneath them um it doesn't matter to them that they have a backup quarterback playing they just see it as another team another game going forward but again joe burrow this would be classic joe burrow to come into san francisco ice cold and just make a statement get the w i would be totally here for it i have a lot of friends that are from niners fans that don't want to hear me say that statement but just knowing joe burrow and knowing just him as a player now coming off the bye should be getting healthier definitely an opportunity for him to make a statement in this one and i think that the key for the niners to win on the flip side of that is their defense needs to lead the way they need to make it tough on joe burrow and jamar chase it's a really tough task and a really tall order again especially coming off of a bye but their defense needs to step up in this one. They let them down on numerous occasions last week against the Vikings. Their play calling was not great either in that regard. So their play calling needs to get better. They need to like learn, you know, maybe you shouldn't run cover zero on third and six. Um, again, you trust your guys out there. And I totally understand that because that's a good mentality to have. You want to believe in your guys man to man and that your guys can get home and get pressure. Um, but my point is the play calling needs to get better. It needs to be just a, a all around better defensive performance in this one because Sam Darnold offensively, you know, you hope that he can get it done, but you don't want to count on it. You don't want to make it the focal point of this game and have him be, you know, what the difference is between a win and a loss. You want your defense to stand out and make the plays they need to, because frankly, it's one of the best defenses in the entire league. You have the home field advantage and you're going against a really damn good quarterback wide receiver duo in Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Now, let's talk about Bears Chargers. I know a lot of you guys probably aren't expecting me to talk about this game because they're both two win teams and they're both not looking too good as of yet, but hey, this game could be super, super important. Also, I'm going to this game, so let me talk about it. Fuck off. Um, this game could be super, super important to Tyson Bajant, Bajant, Bajant? I think it's Bajant, and Justin Fields' future as Bears. Obviously, the Chargers are the far superior team, talent-wise, coaching-wise, even. And you guys know I fucking hate Brandon Staley. Um, that's that's That was strong. Sorry, I said that with my chest, but hey, I meant it. Um, hold on. Give me, let me pause this really quick. Sorry about that. Either way, I was trying to say that I still think, obviously, the Chargers are the far superior team. Um, cannot believe that these teams have the same number of wins. That's super, super insane to me. Chargers absolutely need this win if they want to keep their playoff hopes alive. 
you know, playing against an inferior opponent. But Tyson Bajan has a serious shot to make a case for him being the guy going forward in Chicago. And of course, that goes both ways. That could affect Justin Fields' future going forward as well. So I, I guess the only thing I'm really taking away from this game and going looking forward to it, going into it, is can Tyson Bajan, Bajan make that statement that he is the guy he's going to give this team hope going forward because I know a lot of Bears fans have been overreacting over these past couple weeks that he definitely could be obviously coming off a huge blowout win against the Raiders but I'm holding my horses on this one the Raiders are just not a very good football team at all and we were also playing their backup quarterback so I'm I'm gonna hold out and not say he's our guy here um one partially because as a Bears fan, getting excited is just pretty tough, and I feel like getting excited is just <laughs> a path for disappointment. Um, again, just being a realist here, because I've seen it time and time again, every time I get excited about the Bears, it almost always bites me in the ass, but I would just love, love, love as a fan to see Tyson Bajan go into SoFi Stadium, you know, one of the most grand stadiums, not only in like football, but just in sports in general, in prime time Sunday night football with me in attendance obviously helping um I would love to see him get it done like god that'd be so fucking fun but that's really all I have to say about the game if you're looking at it statistically I mean the Chargers still give up plenty of big plays especially yards after the catch that's a trend we've seen not only this year but just in years past the Chargers tend to do that so can DJ Moore get going can he get something going in this one um can the Chargers get after Tyson Bajan and Tyson Bajan has done a really good job for the most part getting the ball out of his hands quickly and not allowing pressure to get to him too badly but Khalil Mack revenge game could he have a factor in this one he had a pretty slow start to his season but has really turned it on over the past couple weeks could he make his impact felt in this one and then of course how can these Bears young DBs match up particularly against Keenan Allen but just the Chargers weapons in general Josh Palmer really underrated guy there Tyreek Stevenson for some reason has been our cornerback one and not Jalen Johnson again just one more point proving that why I think Jalen Johnson will get traded um but is Tyreek Stevenson going to be held you know against Keenan Allen a lot of times are we going to see more Kyler Gordon because Keenan Allen you know sometimes hides in the slot a little bit there and Kyler Gordon more of a nickel cornerback so gonna be interesting to see how those really young rook or not rookies but some of them are rookies. Tyreek is a rookie, but gonna be interesting to see how our young secondary handles these Chargers offensive weapons. And yeah, just I'm gonna be there in attendance. Go Bajan. That's really all I can say about it. I'm really excited for this game. Up next, let's talk about one more game and then get into some best bets. Browns versus Seahawks. Browns coming off an extremely impressive win. Honestly, back-to-back wins that were extremely impressive and been playing just great team football, running the ball really well, playing defense well for the most part outside of this last week. But P.J. Walker getting it done, you know, finding ways to win through adversity is a really, really underrated trait in this league. And because everyone has injuries, everyone has different you know problems they have to face throughout the year. It's how you address them, how you move forward, and how you continue to win going through. The Cleveland Browns have been doing a great job at that. You know, losing Nick Chubb, who's been the heart and soul of this team for many years now. Sorry about that. Got cut off a little bit. But either way, working through adversity, obviously dealing with a lot of injuries. Nick Chubb, the heart and soul of this team over the past few years. He went down really early in the year. Then Deshaun Watson dealing with his shoulder injury. And then P.J. Walker coming in. You know, Jerome Ford 
the replacement to Nick Chubb getting injured. So there's been a lot of things going wrong for this team, but either way, they keep continually finding ways to win, and they're doing it in different ways. Obviously, putting up 39 points this past week, not what I would have expected at all from them, but sitting at four wins... This is a really, really, really competitive division. And regardless, adding a fifth win for either team, Browns or Seahawks in this one, would be huge in terms of implications as far as playoff standings and division standings because this division, both divisions, the AFC North and the NFC West, they play each other a lot this weekend. So there's going to be huge implications. The Steelers, they play the Jags, but beyond that, the Ravens play the Cardinals, the Bengals play the Niners. So obviously two AFC North versus NFC West matchups there. So those are going to have huge implications, and I'm sure that Browns and the Seahawks are going to be keeping track of the Ravens Cardinals, Bengals Niners, because they, they impact their standings. They're going to have an impact in this game. And then the Rams play in Dallas, so again, a little bit off there. But if you're looking at it and you say, okay, so the Rams go into Dallas, Dallas could definitely beat the Rams. The Ravens go into Arizona, you expect the Ravens to get it done in this one. So the Browns, in order to hang around with the Ravens, they need a win in this one. But the Bengals go into San Francisco without their backup quarterback. If the Bengals go in and win this one, and the Browns find a way to slip and lose to the Seahawks, next thing you know, the Bengals and the Browns are neck and neck. Obviously, the Bengals have the head-to-head over them because, or sorry, the Browns have the head-to-head over them because they beat them earlier in the year. But then they'd be set at the same record and the Bengals would be set to mount a comeback. And, you know, not saying they're going to win the division, but at least, you know, make a shot, make a push for the playoffs. So this has really big implications as a game, both from a Seahawks point of view and the Browns point of view. And both of these teams, you know, four win teams uh, coming off really big wins. And I just think it's a really good opportunity for both of these teams. The over-under is the lowest of the week right now, and I think it totally makes sense just judging where these defenses are right now. Uh, Seattle's defense quietly been playing really, really well, especially against the run. Um, Devon Witherspoon looking like an absolute emerging superstar in this league at cornerback. Um, poor Tariq Wollin has just not been getting any attention because of him. But either way, <laughs> either way, the Seattle Seahawks, a team that even though Geno Smith hasn't been playing his best ball over the past couple weeks, he has made too many mistakes, in my opinion. Um, they're just playing really complete team football right now and really bringing it together on defense. And then on the flip side, the Browns are doing the same thing. They're just finding ways to win really impressive stuff there. And it's going to be a really, really big and important game for both of these teams. But my last segment of the episode, let's get into some best bets. All right, best bets. Let's do this quickly because I have to get to class pretty soon. Okay, always risky doing these things. And I never recommend, actually, I kind of recommend to take you guys these with me. But you know, don't fucking put it on me. There's never a guarantee in these things. I can never promise any sort of uh, money or anything like that. And I'm not going to tell you what to do, with, you know, where to spend your money and how to manage your finances, all that bullshit. This is just a guy spewing when I think I know more than the average person. But of course, you never fucking know. I will say the house always wins. The NFL is extremely tricky, super unpredictable. But with that being said, as you know, a disclaimer, Cincinnati Moneyline is the first one I'm looking at. They're still underdogs right now. I don't think the books have updated that Brock Purdy's hurt. So the lines are probably going to shift as the week goes on. So buy it early. Again, recording this on a Wednesday, uh, October 25th. Sorry if you can hear some noise outside my window. I'm just going to get through it because this episode is nearly done. Um, So yeah, there's still three and a half point. Goddamn bus. You know what? I'm just going to pause it really quick. 
Either way, sorry about that little pause. Either way, I'm not trusting Sam Darnold. I'm trusting Joe Burrow to get it done. And I like Cincinnati money line while they're still underdogs. Again, I think that line might shift. They might end up being favorites by the time it's all said and done. So buy it while you can. Up next, Bills spread eight and a half points. It's a little bit much, but I still like it. I like them to bounce back at home. If you don't know, they are playing against who the fuck are they playing against? I don't even remember. Ah, I should have wrote it down. <laughs> My bad, guys. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember. Um, Bills. Looking it up. Look at how unprofessional I am. Tampa. That's right. I'm an idiot. I knew that. Yeah. Tampa, you know, spiring a little bit. I think the Baker Mayfield experiment is not going to end up working out. Again, we've seen this time and time again. I mentioned it with Sam Darnold. Baker Mayfield's kind of the same way where he tends to start pretty hot and people kind of start buying into that underdog mentality and people start rooting for him. And then he gets more and more attention from the press and then it gets to him. He caves. And I think we're, we might see the total unraveling in this one. Again, Buffalo, one of the best home field advantages in the entirety of the NFL. We have seen multiple teams go in there with high expectations and get absolutely buzzsawed, just like the Miami Dolphins a couple weeks ago when they only put up 20. I think Baker Mayfield struggles in this one. I think Buffalo bounces back, makes a statement at home. I think their defense has a great day in this one. If you have their defensive in fantasy, be sure to start them up. And I think Buffalo gets it done. And I like the spread. Obviously, money line, there's not a, lot, a whole lot of value there. And I just think they win by more than 8.5 points. I know it's a lot of fucking points, but I'm just feeling it. I really can't tell you. Um, I like them to bounce back. I think Baker Mayfield regresses. Buffalo Bills, 8.5 up next lions minus eight and a half against the las vegas raiders exact same spread as last time again similar thought process bounce back game against a far inferior team even if jimmy garoppolo is back in this one i really don't care i just don't think the raiders can hang with the lions especially at home for the lions um eight and a half points i know it's a lot i know it's two possessions but the lions have won plenty of games by double digits already this year i like them to do it one more time at home bounce back need a statement win after getting their teeth absolutely kicked in by the baltimore ravens uh you know the schedule gods handed them this little treat with las vegas coming into town maybe brian hoyer starting as well again doesn't matter to me even if jimmy garoppolo is in there i like the lions to win by more than eight and a half just a far superior roster far superior team better coach i mean there's really not any spot that you can look at the raiders and say they're definitely better there individually as players you know max crosby's better than aiden hutchinson in my opinion Devonte adams better than amara but if you look at them as units as core groups you really can't make an argument that the Raiders are better in any one position group than the Detroit Lions. Up next, and this feels like a trap game, and I'm probably going to get sucked into it in this one, but Houston minus three. I mean, come on. Houston's so much better than Carolina. It is in Carolina in this one, but number one versus number two overall picks, that's going to be a big storyline coming into this game. And CJ Stroud has drastically outplayed Bryce Young so far this season but the reason why I say it's a trap game is because knowing the NFL and knowing the bullshit that they always tend to pull off everyone's going to be buying in on Houston minus three and everyone's going to be playing CJ Stroud's going to outplay Bryce Young and then just when we think we have it all figured out the opposite's going to happen Bryce Young's going to turn it on he's going to have the best game of his career it's at home and he's going to be dealing you know Adam Thielen's going to go for nine and a hundred and a touchdown or whatever it is and then CJ Stroud's going to throw a pick and we're all going to say like did we have it all wrong or were they right and but just from a 
from a realist point of view, that might happen, but as an optimist and as someone who has seen the trends and what's been going on in the league so far this year, and from the sample size that we've been given of the first seven weeks, you should say that Houston should win this game by more than three points and CJ Stroud should dramatically outplay Bryce Young. So given the sample size that we're dealing with and being the optimist here, I'm taking Houston minus three, but again, that could most definitely be a trap game in this one. That's going to do it for me, guys, though. I hope you did enjoy this episode. If you did, be sure to follow me here on Spotify or Apple Music, wherever you listen to this podcast. Be sure to go follow me over at Murphy's League on Instagram. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Share this with your friends and family. Have a great rest of your day, and peace out, y'all.